If you want to go to James chapter 4, you could do that. I'll be in James chapter 4 a bit, and I'll be in Psalm 90 a fair bit as well. Uh, So we'll start off in James 4. It's one of those weird Sundays, New Year. Not quite sure sometimes what to do. Uh, But something that was on my heart a few months ago, and I wrote it down in my journal, and I felt God saying, not now, but as the end of the year approached, uh, I felt that this was the message for today, and it was beautifully confirmed uh, this morning. I'll I'll let you know how that happened later on, just one of those nice little moments uh, where you're sitting on your own in, in the dark, in the kitchen on a Sunday morning, and something happens, and you're just like, yes. (laughs) So this is uh, James chapter 4. I'm going to read from verses 13 to 16. James 4. Now listen, you who say today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, we'll spend a year there, we'll carry on business and we'll make money. Why do you not even, or you do not even know what will happen tomorrow? What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. All such boasting is evil. And the verse that I want to just put out on New Year's Day, which isn't supremely cheerful (laughs) but I do believe that what what God wants us to ponder today uh, one of those key days in the year where you look back and you look forward and you you reflect or one of those key weekends in the year when you do that the verse is this one verse 14 you do not even know what will happen tomorrow what is your life you are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Cheery stuff, isn't it? <laughs> um, your life, James says, and he's picking up from some things in the Old Testament, is like when you go out on a cold day, we're experiencing remarkably mild weather at the minute, but when you go out on a cold morning and you exhale and you can see your breath, and then mere seconds later, it's gone. And James says, that's your life. That's your life. And you'll hear theologians talk about the brevity of life. Brevity from the word brief. The brevity of life. And and what's happening there as you exhale and you can see your breath out there in front of you. um, It's profoundly well illustrated by vapors. But I didn't feel the liberty to vape this morning during the message or any time. But this, this mist, have you ever been behind somebody in a car and they're vaping in the car in front of you and this massive cloud every sort of 30 seconds comes out the window and engulfs your car? No? Okay. And then you can smell it coming in through your vent, whatever fruity thing. Yeah. Anyway, that's got nothing to do with anything. But whenever you exhale and you see your breath, there's a wee bit of really simple science that goes on there that you could explain probably in about 10 seconds about the dew point and the fact that the air can't contain any more water vapor at that temperature and therefore it condenses to droplets of liquid and you can see it. And the point is, in the time it takes to explain that, it's gone. It's long gone. 
And James says, your, your life is like that. You can't hold on to it. That, that breath out in front of you, you can't grab it. You can't bottle it. You can't delay its passing. Bruce Walkey, who is a, a brilliant Old Testament scholar, taught at Regent College for a long, long time. He used to illustrate this by actually, he didn't bring vapes, didn't exist, or e-cigs or whatever they're called. He would bring a cigar into class, into his lecture, and light up the cigar and take a big deep puff and then blow it out in front of the students uh, to illustrate how quickly this would disappear. Life is a mist. Some very familiar things that you will hear said about time. Time flies. Where did the time go? Or, goodness me, is that the time? That polite way of trying to get rid of somebody. You know? <laughs> goodness me, is that the time? I must move on. I've been thinking about this sort of stuff back in late September, early October. My aunt passed away. Um, she'd been sick for quite some time. She had very advanced dementia. But still, whenever she passed away, it, it, it was sort of surprising to, to hear of it. Um, and I went to the funeral, which was at her house, which had been my granny's house, and where I had spent a, a lot of childhood. And I stood there in the, in the yard outside the house and, and looked around. It was a very small gathering. She, was very, she had been very old. Um, and COVID restrictions and all of that. So there weren't many there. But I stood there on that day in early October and I looked around and I saw, I saw people who used to be the very picture of strength, um, who knew what a day's work was. <laughs> I can remember going down there with my dad when I was very young and being very frustrated that I couldn't lift a bale of hay. And I'm not talking about round bales, in case you're wondering how strong these men were. The, the, the sort of cuboid rectangular bales with the twine on them, and they would be lifting these and tossing them up onto a trailer and the sweat lashing off them, and I'm leaning over, grabbing and, and trying to get the thing off the ground. And I can remember, you know, the, the strength that they had, the vigor that they had. They would work on a June or July day with the sweat pouring off them and they would be laughing and having the banter the whole time. And then I look around on this day at the funeral and I see people leaning on sticks and I see them in chairs and I see somebody else holding them up and holding an umbrella for them. And I started to really ponder the brevity of life. And how that vigor of youth and, and younger years can, can fade and fades very, very quickly. And as I was thinking about this and, and just noting a few things in my journal, a day or two later, I read this in, in my reading plan in Psalm 78, 39. He remembered that they were but flesh, a passing breeze that does not return. And our memories, I don't know about you, but some memories, I have a tendency, we laugh about this at home, but it's probably not that funny. I have a tendency to forget things that I don't deem to be particularly important, which can be very frustrating uh, for others in the house when, whenever, you know, do you remember I told you this? And um, I can't actually. But do you know the way you have these memories of childhood or maybe, maybe growing up or, or some previous moment and it's so clear? It's so clear. You can see everything, as Samuel would say, in Ultra HD 4K or 8K or whatever it is. Now, you can see everything so clearly. You can hear 
things. You can smell things and, and you're just, you're there. And maybe 30 years ago and you're there, vividly there. And you can't remember something from a couple of days ago, but these, these memories just stay very vividly in your mind. And it feels like yesterday. And then you think over it and you think, goodness, that was 35 years ago. Or you maybe, if I music for me brings back memories and if I hear a certain song that I maybe listened to a lot when I was a teenager, the memories come flooding back. Life is a mist. Or you bump into somebody, there was somebody here <clears throat> a few weeks ago who used to come to Bible studies in our old house up in Castle Rise. And when we got talking, you know when you bump into someone you haven't seen for a while, and you think, oh, it's been a while, it's been a few years. And we worked out it was 17 years. Life is a mist. The relentless march of time. Whenever you're a child, the summer seems endless. Whenever you're an adult and you still get to have a seven-week summer, <laughs> it's not endless anymore. It goes by in a flash. And you wonder what on earth happened when you get to the end of August. Life is a mist. And, and not only will you have songs and memories, but I find there are reference points in the week and there are reference points in the year. And when you get to them, you're like, goodness, I can't believe it's a week since I last did this. Whether it's a Sunday morning or, or maybe for us, it might be for me and Samuel going to football training and you, and you walk down onto the pitch and you're like, I can't believe it's a week since we were last here. The days, the weeks, the months, the years just relentlessly march on. Life is a a mist. And Moses talks about this in Psalm 90. Moses wrote a few Psalms. Psalm 90 is one of them. I'm going to spend a fair bit of the rest of of this brief message in in Psalm 90. Um, Moses, it's actually a lament about the passing of life. And the speed at which life goes by, Psalm 90. Verse 3, Moses says, You turn people back to dust, saying, Return to dust, you mortals. Moses' life, I'd never really thought about this until pondering for, for this message. Moses' life, and it doesn't get any more cheerful here, I'm sorry, but I believe I'm being faithful. Moses' life was a constant funeral. He went into the wilderness with 600,000 men. So when we include women and children, there were at least probably 1.2 or 1.5 million people that were in the wilderness. And they were there for 38 years, and all of them died, except Caleb and Joshua and any new generation that were born. Now, when you do the mathematics on that, a million 1.2 million people at least, 38 years, there were just under 90 deaths per day. We're familiar with putting on the news and reading these bleak numbers every day. For Moses, there was an average of 90 deaths per day throughout that 38-year period in the wilderness wandering. His life was a constant funeral, constantly surrounded by death. And therefore, he writes this lament psalm about how brief life is and how how much death is all around him. In in verse 4, he brings in some numbers and he says, A thousand years in your sight are like a day that has just gone by, or like a watch in the night. What we deem to be a, a huge period of time in God's scheme 
a watch in the night would have been three hours, a three-hour slot. Or it might have been eight hours. I'm not, I think it was three. But it was a very short period of time. And, and, and Moses says a thousand years in God's reckoning is, is like just a brief shift, keeping watch during the night. He uses images from, from nature. He says, you sweep people away in the sleep of death. They are like the new grass of the morning. In the morning it springs up new, but by evening it's dry and withered. I'm not very good at growing flowers. Um, I grow vegetables and I enjoy that. The flowers are a sort of an afterthought. Usually sometime around about mid-July, I see somebody else's garden in full bloom and I think next year I'm going to plant flowers at the right time of the year so that I have a full bloom, but I never do it. <laughs> but we have, you know, now in desperation, I will buy a few packets of wildflower seeds going for the cottage garden look, you know, the swaying meadow of flowers. Never quite turns out like that, but I, I, I scatter them on a, on a few parts of the garden and usually in that seed mix there will be poppies and poppies are the most frustrating flower in the world they are beautiful they are stunning you watch them in in the morning on a summer's day as the sun's coming up and you can see the top of it just swelling and about to to burst open into color and then you notice about two hours later it has burst open and then about three hours after that it's gone the petals just seem to vanish on the same day that they form. Am I just an awful poppy grower? Or does, has anyone else ever observed the short life of a poppy? And that's like us. The bloom, the, the, the blossom, it, it, it's so brief. It comes and it goes very, very quickly. And one of the things that, that Moses realizes about the brevity of life is that it's to do with the anger of God. We weren't designed to die. We were designed to live. To live forever. And death came because sin came. And Moses, as he's surrounded by death in the wilderness, he, he realizes that, that what they are experiencing is, is a result of their sin. You see, you'll read in about Numbers 11 to 14 about how the people came to a place called Kadesh Barnea, and the spies had come back from the promised land and Joshua and Caleb had brought a good report but the people re refused to believe and they believed the other 10 guys who brought a bad report and they wouldn't go into the land and God told them, turn back and set your course for the Red Sea. Away you go. And as a result of that unbelief and that refusal to step into what God had for them, that refusal to believe his good character, that he would look after them, that he would drive out the nations before them, that aroused his anger because they would not believe he was who he said he was. And Moses records, we're consumed. The reason that 90 people a day are dying is because of the anger of God, because of our iniquities, our secret sins. That is, is what Moses pins down as the reason why we are dying in the wilderness. And God's judgment on them, whenever they turn back from the promised land, they are, they are, I think, about a day's walk away from it. And whenever they turn back and head back into the wilderness, God's judgment on them is not to kill them on the spot. His judgment is, do you know what? Because you wouldn't believe me and you wouldn't receive me and accept my character and trust me, I am going to judge you to spend the next 38 years killing time. You're not just going to drop dead on the spot. Your judgment is a life of going around in circles, killing time. 
killing time. A horrible phrase, <laughs> killing time. I want time to live. <laughs> I don't want to kill it. Killing time. And I wonder how much of that sort of cycle of killing time is still in this world as God's judgment on those who reject him. Because so many people seem to just get up, have their breakfast, go to work, come home, have their dinner, watch TV, go to bed, and then get up and do it again. Repeat. Like one of those movies where the same day is repeating over and over again. And, I, and that is such a foolish and empty way to live. And I wonder, is it part of God's judgment? You have rejected me. You, I have revealed myself to you through my son, through my word, and you have rejected me. So for 38 years or whatever it may be, you can kill time. You can just spend your life going round in circles, aimlessly killing time. Moses, at the, at the heart of the psalm is this wonderful command, prayer. It's not a command. This is, this is a prayer to God, but it's, it's something we can take on as a command. He says in verse 12, teach us to number our days. And that's what's been sort of banging around my head this last few days, trying, trying to pull this together. Teach us to number our days. And then I got up this morning and I went into the kitchen and I made my coffee and opened my laptop and uh, went to the, the Bible Gateway website to copy and paste verses into the presentation so you could have something nice to look at. And when I opened up the Bible Gateway website, boom, today's verse for the day. Oh, thank you, Lord. Psalm 90, verse 12. And I just stared at it with my bleary eyes thinking, yes. <laughs> so listen, church, because I do believe this is too much to be consigned to coincidence. Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Moses suggests in verse 10 of, of Psalm 90 that we may expect around 70 years or 80 if our strength endures. Sort of an average lifespan if, if things go pretty well in terms of health and, and, and all of that. Not guaranteed, obviously. Our days may come to 70 years. Teach us to number our days. So I did. <laughs> I found a website where you can find out how many days there are between today and some date in the future. And I put in my 70th birthday. I've got 9,286 days until my 70th birthday. That's not that big a number. <laughs> this is you, I, you're a right age boy. <laughs> That's not that big a number. And I know some... Bible teachers who literally have a number like that up until the next big milestone birthday and they look at it every morning and, and move it down a notch to keep them sharp. <laughs> now, I don't think Moses literally meant that we were to figure out this number. He says, teach us to number our days. He wants us to ponder how brief life is. He wants us to ponder the fact that life is a mist. It's a vapor that disappears quickly. And, in or, and the reason he wants us to do that is to gain a heart of wisdom. It's your memory verse for the week. 
for the year maybe. Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Because if we ponder the brevity of life, we're not being morbid. We're not being obsessive about death. We're not being bleak and grim. What we're doing is we're developing a heart of wisdom to live well in whatever number of days the number actually is, which we don't know, obviously. In Hebrew, the concept of wisdom is much, much more than knowledge. Wisdom for a Hebrew is to live skillfully, to live life well, to navigate life in a way skillfully that allows us at the end of life to see God. That is skillful living. And if we number our days and we ponder the brevity of life, then we will develop that wisdom that we need to live well. What are some of the things then that mark out a wise life? These are just a few that I've pulled out of these, just these couple of scriptures that we've been in this morning. What, what are the things that mark a life that's lived skillfully from a heart of wisdom? So here's a couple. Here's, I'm going to put up about five. One, hate sin. In this psalm, as I've already mentioned a wee bit earlier on, Moses has talked about the fact that God's anger at sin is the reason for the people who are dying in the wilderness. I think if you have a heart of wisdom, you will have a hatred of sin. Now, that's not too strong a word. I would, if I had, could find a stronger word, I would find it. We should hate sin. Sin leads to death. And we should hate sin. We should not tolerate sin. We should not have the attitude of, okay, it's just, it's just a little sin. It's not that big a deal. It's all right. It's not. That is not wise living according to the word of God. To tolerate and accept what you might call low-level sinning. That's not wise. You're not wise, as they would say in this great land. Hate sin. In verses 11 and 12, which are in Hebrew poetry, they're parallel. We've got the power of God's anger, his wrath, and the fear that is due to him. And then we've got teaching us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. The wisdom and the fear. We know in other places in Scripture that the, that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And understanding that our God, who is a God of love, a God of justice, a God of grace, a God of mercy, a God of forgiveness, a God of holiness, and is not by default an angry God. But because of his righteousness, he is angry with sin. And we need to learn to hate sin if we are to live wisely so that's one thing hate sin second thing that comes up in these verses and in James that I read earlier is that we need to be people of prayer a heart of wisdom from a, a, a life of numbering our days pondering its brevity is to be people of prayer in a few areas one pray over your plans in James We've got some businessmen and there's nothing wrong with business and there's nothing wrong with being sharp and smart about business. But James says to those, those guys who are just presumptuously saying, today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Just arrogantly, presumptuously, this is what we're going to do. 
Now, whether that's in business or in church or in any area of life, that's arrogance and that's presumption. And James says, no, you don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. Your life is a mist. Instead, you ought to say, if it's the Lord's will, you bring God into your plans. If it's the Lord's will, we will live and we will do this or that. Pray over your plans. As a church, pray over. I'm not interested in anything that's not bathed in prayer. I'm not interested in doing a great work for God that has not been covered in prayer. Because if it's not covered in prayer, it is just as I just said. It will be a great work. (laughs) It'll just be effort. Whenever we come up with ideas that haven't been soaked and saturated in prayer, we end up with people who are just burnt out because it's just work, 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 rather than something that has been prayed into being. So we need to pray over our plans. Pray over your work. In Psalm 90, the last verse of the psalm, beautiful way to pray. May the favor of the Lord our God rest on us. Establish the work of our hands. People who have a heart of wisdom and ponder the brevity of life and know the percentage of life that you will spend working is a very high percentage. Pray over your work. Pray over your work. That, the, that your work would be established. Establish the work of our hands. And pray for God's deeds. In Psalm 90, uh, the second last verse, I've actually heard people preach this psalm backwards. It's quite interesting. But in Psalm 90, the second last verse, it says, May your deeds be shown to your servants and your splendor to their children. People who have developed a heart of wisdom will pray that God's deeds will be shown. And what does that look like? That looks like an outbreaking of the Holy Spirit. That looks like the house of restoration being established and increased. It looks like the beauty of reconciliation in relationships, transformed lives, converted sinners. That's God's deeds. And wise people pray for God's deeds to be shown in their midst. And if I could just point in here, I know we've been through a pandemic speaking in faith that maybe it's been through and maybe we're hopefully, please, coming to the end. And I know life is busy and people get sick and shift patterns and work are difficult, but we've been a bit thin at the prayer meeting this last month or two. And we can't expect anything to happen without prayer. And if Tuesday night doesn't suit, and I've said this before, get the keys and have another prayer meeting some other night or come and talk to us and say there's 10 of us that would love to come to prayer but all 10 of us are involved in this that and the other thing on a Tuesday night five or six people can't carry a church in prayer five or six people can't stand on the front line spiritually speaking in a in a dark and difficult town and and actually face off against spiritual darkness in high places There needs to be a return to prayer. Amy Carmichael said, we will have eternity to celebrate the victories, but only a few hours before sunset to win them. There's a very small window of time to win the victories that we can then celebrate through all eternity. People who have developed a heart of wisdom will pray. Another thing that that will go along with having a heart of wisdom from pondering the brevity of life is that we will beware temporal things. 
Things that are temporary, things that do not last, that do not go into eternity. Jesus tells a story in Luke 12 about a man who had an unexpectedly huge harvest. And therefore he became very, very wealthy. And he thought, what will I do with this huge harvest? I, I can't, I've nowhere to store it, to hoard it, to keep it for myself. So he says, I'm going to build some bigger barns. Tear down my existing barns and build big ones. And I'm going to put all the surplus in there. And then I'm going to say, I've got what I need for many years. I'm going to take it easy, eat, drink and be merry. I've got it sorted. Retirement plan sussed. I can, I can live out the rest of my life on this abundant harvest that I have stored up. And John Ortberg brilliantly imagines this guy's grave <laughs> and his gravestone having words on it like successful, uh, business tycoon, highly thought of in the community, blah, blah, blah. All of these accolades etched into the headstone of this man. And then Ortberg pictures Jesus sneaking into the cemetery at night, maybe with a can of spray paint and going up to the headstone and writing one word across, doing a wee Banksy move and going in and, and writing one word across the headstone. Fool. <laughs> and when God calls you a fool, that is about as bad as it gets. God talks in, in Proverbs and in the Old Testament in the wisdom literature, the fool is, the, is the, the idiot. The fool is the one who doesn't know how to live. God doesn't use derogatory language and he doesn't use crude language. Whenever he says fool, that's serious. And God says to this guy, you're a fool because tonight your life will be demanded from you. And all of those temporal things that you chased and stored up are now worthless. Beware temporal things. You see, it's natural for us. We, we have a heart within us that God has given us. We were not designed to die. We were designed to live. We were designed to live forever. And the writer of Ecclesiastes says that God has put eternity in our hearts. By default, we yearn to live forever. By default, we yearn for eternity and eternal things. But what sin does is it turns that inwards and we, we start to worship youth and we start to worship temporal things and we try to cling on to life and cling on to time instead of realizing that this yearning is only fulfilled whenever we are finally and eventually with Jesus. Beware temporal things. And instead of temporal things, prioritize eternal things. And do you know what the only thing that is around us on a daily basis that is eternal is other people. And that's maybe where we should invest our time and our energy loving people within and without the church. Because those are eternal souls. And at the start of the psalm, Moses says, make God your dwelling place. People with a heart of wisdom dwell in the presence of God. You have been our dwelling place throughout all generations. So those five things, just from those few verses, you'll find loads of others as you go through the scriptures. But if we number our days and ponder the brevity of life, we will gain a heart of wisdom. We will hate sin. We will be people of prayer. We will beware of temporal things and obsession with possessions. We will prioritize eternal things 
the things of God, souls, people, and we will make God our dwelling place. The psalmist in Psalm 39 shows us a prayer that I don't think I've ever prayed, but I think I should start praying. Psalm 39, verses 4 and 5, he prays, Show me, Lord, my life's end and the number of my days. Let me see or let me know how fleeting my life is. You've made my days a mere hand breadth, a tiny measurement. The span of my years is as nothing before you. Everyone is but a breath, even those who seem secure. Life is a mist. A mist. Heavy word, but I believe it's the word of God. At a, at a weekend in the year when we think about time, Number our days. Have a heart of wisdom so that we can live skillfully in 2022 and hopefully long beyond it. Let's pray before we worship. Father, I thank you for your word. And I thank you, Lord, for that little confirmation this morning, Lord. And I just pray that we would embrace that and welcome your word. Welcome the fact that you are speaking to us. That you would... Teach us to number our days, that we would gain a heart of wisdom. Lord, I want to live skillfully. I want this church to live skillfully. So Lord, help us to do that in in the rest of this day and in the days that lie ahead at the beginning of this new year. Father, I pray we we would turn this over, that we would redeem the time, that we would know the days are evil, and that we would live skillfully and navigate them in a way that honors you and shows your character to to those around us, Father. Help us not to get just sucked into the idolatry of youth, the idolatry of possessions, the pipe dream of a a long retirement, of uh, swanning around with our wealth. Help us to number our days. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.